0: So, good evening. Let's begin by cultivating our motivation. So, each and every one of us and all sentient beings want happiness and not suffering. We usually think that our happiness and suffering come from outside. That certain material possessions, or wealth, or praise, or social status, or other people, that those are the things that make us happy. And similarly, that external factors make us miserable too. But when we examine our own experience, we can see that we can be in one situation and at one time feel happy in that situation and at another time feel quite miserable in it. So it isn't the external world that actually determines our happiness and misery. It's our internal world, our attitudes, our projections, our emotions. And that actually is something good, because if happiness and suffering depended on the external factors, since we can never control all the external factors in our life, we can, could never be happy. Whereas if we are able to tame our mind, transform our mind, do that internal work, then no matter where we are or who we're with, there's the possibility of being satisfied and joyful. So in seeking happiness, we don't want to just seek it for ourselves. We're one person among countless. But rather, develop ourselves spiritually, develop our incredible human potential so that we can be of great benefit to all living beings and show them the path so that they can tame and transform their own minds and find happiness in that way. So our motivation for sharing The Buddha's teachings this evening should be one of compassion, one of altruism, wanting the best for all beings and wanting to grow ourselves and develop our potentials and abilities so that we can be of greatest benefit to all beings. So cultivate that intention. And today we're on page uh, 94, and we're going to start talking about the auxiliary afflictions from the Pali tradition. So the whole idea of hearing these is to use them to help us understand the different mental states that we have. And here right now we're talking about mental states or mental factors that are very problematic, that disturb the peace of the mind. Okay, so there's another list with all the virtuous ones that make us feel good. We're going now into the ones that are problematic. So, um, when we notice them in ourselves, uh, there's no need to feel ashamed or inadequate or whatever, because we all have these, um, so we might as well admit it. So trying to hide, um, yeah, trying to, to hide what our own internal processes, uh, doesn't really do much good, yeah. Yeah. Because all of us are basically alike. I mean, we're different in many ways. But uh, in terms of positive and problematic mental factors, we all have the seeds of all of them. So it depends which ones we uh, water, so to speak, Yeah, which mental states we, we cultivate, and which ones we apply the antidotes to. So we're uh, taking a look at some of them. Okay, so I'll read from the book and stop and give some comment. So the Pali tradition lists sixteen auxiliary afflictions. Sanskrit tradition had twenty, remember? Uh, and these are offshoots are of the three root afflictions. So the three root afflictions are okay. Anger, attachment, and ignorance, okay? So those are uh, often called the three poisonous minds or three poisonous attitudes, and most of the other afflictions are uh, branches of those. Okay, so many of the ones in the Pali list overlap with the 20 in the Sanskrit list. And some of them... Have the same name, but are defined differently okay or and some of them uh, the English word that they use to for it uh, for me doesn't always match. so we'll we'll go through these. We'll talk about it okay. so the first one is covetousness and greed. Anybody have that problem? Yeah. Okay, so covetousness and greed are aspects of craving. Craving is the mind that wants. Okay, so one of the Pali commentaries says that covetousness is desire for an attachment to our own belongings and greed is desire for an attachment to the belongings of others. Here's an example where I don't think, saying covetousness is the desire for an attachment to our own belongings, that's not the English meaning of covetousness. Okay? That's more, you know, if you had to choose between covetousness and greed, that would be more on the greed side, wouldn't it? And then... uh, here, when it says greed is the desire for an attachment to the belongings of others, that's what we would call covetousness. Okay. So, regardless of the, the word we're giving it, uh, we know those mental states, huh? Yeah. So very interesting to check in our own mind what are we greedy about? What do we covet that uh, belongs to others? Another co- of the poly commentaries states that covetousness is attachment to an object that is suitable and has, be, has been obtained. For example, coveting a new shirt that you need and you obtain legally, okay? Um, while greed is attachment to an object that is unsuitable and has not been obtained, for example, greedily uh, coveting um, uh, illegal drugs, okay? So, those are examples. It, there, you can see how both of these, no matter which English term we use, are related to craving, you know? The mind is wanting something, and once it has that, it does not want to let go of it, okay? And it's amazing what our mind can be greedy about and what we can be possessive about and crave, you know. And in one situation you'd think, oh, you know, being attached to this thing, that's ridiculous. And in another situation you're very attached to it. Okay. And so here I remember, to me, the best example is toilet paper. Okay. When you're in the West and there's lots of toilet paper, nobody's greedy or coveting toilet paper. Well, I don't know. During COVID, there was certainly something going on around toilet paper. But when I lived in India, toilet paper was very expensive. I hardly had any money. And, you know, I rationed my toilet paper. It was very precious, and I didn't want to share it with others because then I wouldn't have it. Okay, so you can see just two different situations, and inside of ourselves, two different reactions to the same object. Okay, the second one uh, is malice. Okay, so you'll remember malice when we talk about the, the... Ten Paths of Non-Virtue, it's the second mental one where we are uh, plotting how to harm somebody. That's what the word means in, con- in the context of the karmic paths. okay? Here, the way they're defining it is a version that arises in nine cases when thinking, okay, he harmed me, he is harming me, he will harm me. Okay, in the future. He harmed me, he is harming me. No. He harmed me. Oh no. Sorry. Okay, the first set, he harmed me, is harming me, will harm me. So past, present, and future. Second set, he harmed, is he harmed those who are dear to me. He is harming the people who are dear to me, and he will harm those who are dear to me. And then the third set is, he helped my enemies. He is helping my enemies. He will help my enemies. Do you remember those nine? They come in another context. What was it? Yeah. And when the Pali tradition was talking about anger, there were these same nine permutations, okay? So very interesting to look when you get upset and angry, yeah? Is it because of what somebody's doing to you, somebody or what they're doing to somebody or something that you cherish, or are they helping somebody that you just can't stand? Okay. So again, you know, all these nine permutations we'll have at one time or another. And especially, uh, I mean, reading the news, you, you just look at what's printed, uh, you know, the, the, what's going on politically, and you can go through all these in the matter of five minutes, you know, five minutes, two minutes, you know. They all pop up in the mind. Okay, the third one is wrath. And it is hatefulness and opposition that seeks to harm someone. So, yeah, it could be uh, the hatefulness and opposition that wants to harm ourselves. if, you know, we're very self-critical. It can want to harm someone else. It could want to harm the property of someone else as a way of harming that other person. Um, yeah, so it's, it's it falls under the the uh, category of anger or hatred, except it's a really extreme form that uh, is unfortunately way to um, manifest in people's minds in the world, isn't it? Yeah. I mean this is a, this mental factor accounts for so much of the the war and suffering as well as the political turmoil. Yeah. Okay, then the fourth one is resentment. Okay. So here they they uh, resentment is accumulated anger and hostility. So, at first, there is anger towards a person or a situation. This anger persists and turns into resentment, which is continued animosity towards someone, okay? Weighing us down emotionally and obscuring our mind spiritually, resentment grows when we insist on being right, when we make ourselves into a victim, or when we refuse to forgive. Okay. Yeah, does that sound how you would define resentment? Yeah. So you start out with anger and hostility, and then you develop it. Okay. You ruminate. And this person did this, and that's not fair, and I don't like this, and it shouldn't be this way. Okay. And so our our resentment, our anger, you know, increases. It could eventually become wrath. It could become grudge-holding or revenge. Okay. Okay. And situations in which resentment arises um, when we insist on being right. Okay, remember a time when you insisted on being right? Anybody here insist on being right? Okay, the people who live here—if you say you never have this—I would beg to differ. <laughs> okay, we all sometimes insist we are right and we are going to have the last word because we are never wrong why are we never wrong because we always know what's best for the world and whatever i believe at any moment is always right and the problem is that other people just don't get that And they think they're right, and they insist on being right, and they don't realize that I'm the one who's right. Oh, these sentient beings too much, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. So, when we insist on being right. Another time when it comes, when we make ourselves into a victim, I did so much to help this person, I was so loyal, we were so good to each other. And then they turned around and betrayed my trust and stabbed me in the back with no remorse, and they didn't apologize, and they just went on their merry way and left me and my life in shatters. <sighs> yeah. never you make yourself into a victim? Yeah. So we do that, and we have a pity party. Yeah, we have a pity party. I am the most... Mistreated, misunderstood person in the world. No one else has ever been betrayed like me. Yeah. Okay. Nobody else makes us into a victim. Okay. I know some people will disagree with me, and they will say, if somebody harms me, I am the victim. In conventional language, maybe you say that, but in Dharma language, we don't say that. Our own mind and how we see the situation makes us into the victim. Okay? Because we give our power away. We say, I can't control my life. I'm totally dependent on this other person. And until they change, or until they apologize, or until somebody outside does something, then I don't have much choice in my life about being happy. Okay? So that kind of attitude makes us into a victim, yeah? And there's something uh, very comforting in a very strange way about being a victim. Because when we're the victim, it means we aren't responsible for anything. So we don't need to try to change we have the privilege, in quotes, the privilege of feeling sorry for ourselves. Okay. Does feeling sorry for ourselves make us happy? No, makes us totally miserable. So it's very strange that we, li- we like this state, in, you know, I have no responsibility. I'm totally miserable, but it's somehow very comforting. Very strange the way our mind operates, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. The other situation in which resentment arises, and it's these are not ex- these three are not exhaustive. Another one is when we refuse to forgive. Okay, so when we refuse to forgive, we're generally holding on to a grudge. Yeah, and there's resentment. We are anger, angry at the other person. We feel hostility towards them. And we will not forgive them because we're right and we're a victim of what they did. Yeah, so they need to apologize. And they should make a big apology. Yeah. Not a little one, a big one. Okay. So we don't want to forgive. And we remain miserable as a result of it. Yeah. When we don't forgive, who suffers? Not the person we're mad at. You know, they're doing whatever they're doing. We're the ones who suffer when we don't forgive. Okay. I come from a family with lots of grudges. Yeah. Having a family, uh, um, celebrating a holiday together, or a a family event together, very difficult. Because you can't make a seating arrangement. Because this one doesn't talk to that one, who doesn't talk to this one, who doesn't talk to that one. Yeah, so how do you make a seating arrangement? It's impossible. Anyway, I won't go into my family's dramas. But it's just, you know, you look in your own life And you find in your own life examples of exactly what the Buddha's talking about. Okay, the fourth one is contempt. Okay, and here they talk about contempt uh, is ingratitude, ingratitude, okay, that denigrates those who have been kind to us. A spiritual mentor may help her student for many years, training and teaching him. But when the student becomes well-known and respected, he disregards his teacher and thinks, she did nothing for me. Okay. Is that how you would t- uh, define contempt? Yeah. What would you call that, what, what's being described here? Or, or maybe let me go on to the next one. Okay. Cause this, this may help, help a little bit. So the next one is insolence. Okay. And here it's called, it's a sense of competitiveness that puts the other person down. We arrogantly consider ourselves to be above others who are actually more qualified. Okay, So I don't know about you, but when I think of contempt, I would say, um, how I see contempt is uh, it's related to arrogance, where, yes, you you do denigrate somebody, but you're denigrating people who you think are lower than you and a really awful kind of despicable uh, way. That's how I think of contempt. I see some nodding heads, okay? This one here, ingratitude that uh, denigrates those who have been kind to us, I don't think contempt has to be for those who have been kind to us. I think this, this one here, is much more ingratitude or ungratefulness with the example. When you denigrate those who've been, who have been kind to us and the example of the spiritual mentor who helps the student or any teacher who helps the student. And then when the teacher, when the student succeeds, they have contempt for their teacher or they have contempt for other people. They have contempt for their own students because they think they're better than other people. Yeah. But here, yeah. Anyway, what what is described being described here to me seems more ungratefulness whereas contempt is when yeah, you put your you put yourself up and up and just can't really denigrate somebody um, in a very nasty way. Okay. And what they call insolence, a sense of competitiveness that puts the other person down. We arrogantly consider ourselves to be above others who are actually more qualified than us. That how you think of insolence? How do you think of insolence? Somebody want to look it up? All right. Yeah. How do you think of it? Disrespect, but like flagrant disrespect <laughs> is what I think. Yeah, of. like a. I I think of insolence very much as a a very sour attitude that disrespects people. Huh? Yeah, very arrogant. Okay. So anyway, uh, whoever the Pali... I just took the translations from how the Pali translator did it. So, But it's, it's good for us to think about this because it helps us get clear on what certain words mean, and what exactly to look for inside of ourselves. Yeah? Because I see contempt, I mean, for me, people who are con- have contempt for other people, it just is like, ugh, you know, that kind of attitude. I really recoil from that. Okay, the seventh one, this one I think we all know, jealousy. Okay, so it is resentment of the gain, honor, respect, esteem, veneration, and reverence shown to others. Okay, so other people have a better deal than we do. Okay, they have better opportunities. They are better, they are more respected than we are. Uh, they receive more esteem in the public field, more veneration. Uh, people revere them, people praise them. They have, uh, they're wealthy, they're famous. They are better than us. Ooh, that's so painful. How could somebody be better than me? How could somebody have something I don't when I want it and I deserve it? Okay. So jealousy is quite painful, isn't it? Yeah? I think it's a very, very painful emotion, because we want something we can't get, and we want to destroy the fact that the other person has it. We want to take it away from the other person. We can't stand that somebody else is happy or has that benefit or is better than us or whatever it is, you know? And we want to destroy that they have it and take it for ourselves. Yeah, really nasty, isn't it? And yet, uh, we get jealous over amazing things. Yeah, over amazing things. And they always say, be careful of who you're jealous about because, or what you're jealous of, because you might get it. And sometimes when you get what you are jealous about, you are incredibly miserable. and Because you discover that it doesn't actually make you happy. Yeah. And it brings you a whole bunch of other problems. Yeah. Can you think of a situation when you got jealous about something? And then we had, when I lived in France, we had uh, one woman who her husband uh, ran off with a younger woman, and she was jealous. And I said, "Claudia, relax. Now he gets to pick up her, she she gets to pick up his dirty." underwear and his dirty socks. You know, you're free of that. Yeah? So, you know, you crave something, you want it, you're jealous of who has it, and then you get it, and it's not so great.
1: The way jealousy is defined um, in the previous part under the Sanskrit Sanskrit tradition, um, Links it with attachment, with the, which accords to how we think of jealousy a lot. Mm-hmm. This doesn't necessarily mention that. So I was thinking, no, if you I,
0: I think in the, in the Sanskrit it's linked to anger.
1: Um, it, it says because of it says jealous. It,
0: but I think when when we look, um, it
1: is under anger. Yeah,
0: it's but under it's, anger. But
1: it's defined as out of attachment. Yeah. Where, where this, well, my point here is that this doesn't mention attachment. So I could have a resentment of somebody getting something simply because I don't like them, even if I don't want what they are getting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because you could, like, resent a politician who you think is totally corrupt of getting praised, even uh-huh. if you don't necessarily care for that praise yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, cause I had been talking with someone earlier about a different mental state that can be jealousy, and this seems to fit that more than the Sanskrit Mm. definition.
0: Mm. I think very often jealousy comes because we're attached to something. The example you gave could happen, but that, uh, you know, more is, I would put that actually more under grudge holding. You know, that you want to deprive...
1: Right. You want it, what, to
0: cause suffering to somebody. Or maybe that would fall under uh, a, a, a kind of wrath. You want to cause harm to somebody else.
1: Yeah. Or, or I guess what I'm saying is even though they're using the word jealousy, the English word, there seems to be a different definition here. It doesn't say
0: yeah, it doesn't, that we want. Something. It doesn't say attachment. That doesn't mean there's no attachment involved. Yeah, because when we talk about gra- gain, honor, respect, esteem, veneration, reverence, wealth, fame, yeah, those are usually things people crave and they want. Okay, so you you could have, you know, like you said, the people have the feeling that you say. I don't know that, that I, I would call it jealousy. Um... Because it's, it's more you want to harm somebody. I would call that more malice. You want to harm somebody. Anyway, it doesn't really matter the word. It's to identify that mental state within ourselves. Yeah, that's the important thing. Okay, number eight is miserliness. Okay, is stinginess and avarice. We cling to what we have and are unwilling to share our possessions, dwelling, food, reputation, praise, and so forth with others, okay? We don't want the people who praise us to meet others because they may praise those other people too. So we're miserly about the praise, And we would probably get very jealous if somebody who usually praises us starts praising somebody else. We'd probably get jealous in there. okay? Or we don't want others to learn the Dharma because then they may become as well-respected as we are. Okay, so with miserliness, you can see it's also related to competition, isn't it? Yeah, to competition and arrogance. And we we want to be seen as the best. And whatever we have, we don't want to share with others. So I've heard um, my brother, when he was in medical school, told me that some of the other students would... Uh, check out books from the library, even if they didn't need those books, just so the other med students wouldn't have them and couldn't use them to study and get better grades. That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah? But that fits this thing of miserliness. You know, you don't want to share knowledge. And you don't want to even, you know, even share a library book because you're afraid somebody else may do better than you on a test. Okay. So again, with miserliness, we can be miserly about so many different things. Yeah? Okay, from paper clips. Yeah, I'll give you my metal paper clips, but not the colorful plastic-coated ones that are so nice. Yeah, so we can be miserly about paper clips. We could be miserly about uh, money. Yeah, we could be miserly about, you name it, you know, somebody needs something and we don't want to give it. Yeah.
2: Favorite
0: weed remover tool. Oh, yeah, your favorite weed weed remover tool. Yeah. Yeah, or your favorite loppers. Yeah, I'm going to get to those loppers first before anybody else can, and I'm not going to let anybody else use them. Okay. Yeah. And of course, I mean, anything, your space, where where your seat is. Yeah, I'm going to put my chair where I want to, you know, you can't have my space. Okay, then the ninth one is pretension. Now here... The Sanskrit Pali word for pretension, how there is, it's being translated as pretension, is the same. But the definition actually is the definition of deceit that we have in the Sanskrit tradition. And the word, the definition that's translated as deceit, or the, yeah, that's called deceit in the Sanskrit, is actually called pretension here. Okay, so again, it doesn't matter which way you do it, uh, but both of these uh, mental states, you know, are in our mind. So here, they're defining pretension as we would usually define deceit. As craftily hides our faults and misdeeds, we do a non-virtuous action and not wanting others to know about it Pretend to be innocent. Okay. We learn this as kids, don't we? Yeah. Our, the first thing we learn as kids is it's not fair, and the second thing we learn is it's somebody else's fault. I didn't do it. <laughs> huh? Oh, you, you think it's the other way around? Okay you can gonna have a debate, <laughs> yeah. But though, you know, this is something we learned very early on. We made a mistake, we did something naughty, we don't want anybody else to know. And so we pretend to be innocent or we blame somebody else. Okay. Who is the perfect example of this? Yeah, I think we know, <laughs> but it's, it's really true, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't do anything, it's all somebody else, yeah? I am innocent, okay? I am the least racist person, I am the least anti-Semitic person. Yeah, so, um, okay. So to look out, you know, look out for this in ourselves because it can pertain to our precepts. You know, we transgressed a precept and we don't really want to admit it to anybody because it's kind of embarrassing that we did that. So we just kind of forgot to confess it on both day, you know, just, oh, I forgot. And I'll, I'll confess it next time. And uh, then we forgot it then, too. You know? Okay. And then deceit is what we usually translate as pretension. Fraudulently claiming excellent qualities, achievements, or status that are not so. We pretend to be a loyal and dear friend who will never let others down. Okay? So we claim to have qualities and abilities and uh, so on that we don't have. We, yeah? We pretend to be what we're not. You apply for a job, and, you know, how do you fill out your your job application? I do this and this, and I'm really good with this, and I'm fantastic at that. Yeah. No faults. Yeah, you should definitely hire me. And then when somebody asks you, you know, well, do you know how to do this? Uh, no, but I learn really fast. Yeah. Okay. So here claiming, I mean, you can see why pretension and deceit go together. We're pretending to have good qualities we don't have and we're hiding our faults. Okay. Usually out of attachment to uh, reputation, to praise, to wealth, to getting our way, to making good impressions. Okay, you meet somebody new and you want to make a good impression on them. And so you pretend to be what you aren't. Yeah. And then that that is so so harmful because then the other person believes you are something that you aren't. They trust you to be like you're presenting yourself. And then you turn not you turn out not to be the way you're presenting yourself and other people feel they're very hurt and they feel deceived. Huh? And they have been deceived. Huh? Okay, 11th is obstinacy. Oh, this this one will skip because nobody here has this one. Yeah. Well, no, nobody here is obstinate, are they? Yeah. No, we don't have this. Obstinacy is rigidity and inflexibility. Such stubbornness often arises when being insecure, we seek to control a situation or insist that we are right, okay? So this is coming back to insisting that we're right, okay? It's that same situation of insisting that we're right, but here it becomes obstinacy, and it's probably fueled by resentment, or not necessarily fueled by resentment, but often is. Okay. And what I find interesting is the stubbornness arises from insecurity. Okay. So when we feel insecure, when the situation, uh, we don't feel like we have a handle on the situation, or we don't really know what in the world's going on in the situation. Okay then it's very easy to become obstinate because it uh, it gives us a sense of, I know what's going on, and I'm right, and it's really like this. Okay. How do you feel when you're obstinate? So I feel trapped because my view is so narrow. There's just an expansive mind is just not present. Yeah. Yeah, the mind's totally, uh, yeah, it's rigid and inflexible and very narrow. Yeah, and often afraid. Hmm? Defensive, defensive. yeah. Yeah, when we're defensive we often get very obstinate. Yeah? huh. Yeah. Trust? Frustrated. Frustrated, yes. Yeah, I'm frustrated, and you got to do things my way because I'm right and I can't stand it. You know, <laughs> I feel so insecure that I've got to, you know, I've got to control the situation.
2: I just said, we're, you're just immovable. You've dug your heels in, and there's no motion.
0: Mm-hmm. There's no progress. There's no backwards, forwards. It's just stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're around somebody who's obstinate, how, how does that affect you?
3: Something that I discovered recently is that I can't stand being around myself. <laughs> 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 I mean just unpleasant. and there's such a big sense of self that I can't even f- I can't yeah. even see anything else. Yeah, but I'm a very I, I don't like being with myself when I get to be that entrenched.
0: yeah, yeah. And no matter what somebody says, the spatula goes here and that is you know the law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we see that a lot, too, don't we? You know, in the political sphere. The the big lie is perpetuated by obstinacy. Yeah. Okay, number 12 is competition. Okay, so competition seeks to rival and outshine others. So we can see links between a lot of these, you know? Competition, resentment when we lose out, obstinacy when we think we're right, okay? Uh, What was the other one? Uh, Insolence. Yeah, jealousy. So we can see that in our mind a lot of these are, uh, you know, they they kind of they may follow one right after the other, yeah, you know? or they may be regarding one situation. One minute you feel this way, one minute you feel that way. Okay, so competition. We see someone nicely dressed. Don't you love my chugu? Yes. It's a nicer color than your chugu, even though it's faded. But it's a beautiful color. It's very nice. Okay, we see someone nicely dressed and we want to get better clothes to show off. Okay, we hear someone is learned and want to demonstrate our knowledge in order to receive more praise and a better reputation. Mansplaining. Excuse me, men, But this is mansplaining, isn't it? Yeah. Although such competition is defiled, it is, uh, yeah, that competition. It's also possible to compete in a positive way. Okay. So we see someone who is generous and with a giving heart we wish to match or surpass her gift. We meet someone who is learned in the dharma, and with a sincere desire to learn ourselves, we aspire to learn the dharma as well as that person has. So that's called a good kind of competition. His Holiness, uh, that doesn't sound like competition to me very much, but His Holiness, uh, when he talks about um, in the uh, when the monks and nuns debate, you know, it's a competition— but the, uh, it's not a competition to be better than someone and to win the debate. It's a competition to increase your wisdom and increase your ability to think clearly. So for those situations, such as someone else gives a gift and so you too want to give a gift, if the motivation is, I want to give a better gift than that person— that still seems defiled even. Right. Though oh, that's generosity defiled. Right. But could we call it then instead of competition like inspiration, right? Being inspired by the generosity. Yes. Like, that would be the non-defiled yes. competition. I right? think it I think in English you would call the examples given here more being inspired by others' behavior rather than competing, you know, in the same way with the with the debating, you know. You're trying to uh, increase knowledge, increase wisdom. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the way different words are used in different cultures can can really vary a lot. Yeah. But definitely, you know, somebody else gave a gift and look how they got recognized. So, I want to be recognized like that too. So I'm going to give more than them. And then you don't get recognized in the same way. And you are jealous. And you are wrathful. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go tell those people, you know, give them a the peace of my mind. <laughs> okay, then uh, 13, arrogance. Okay, so this one we've seen is related to a lot of the others too. So arrogance is being puffed up on account of our social class, education, possessions, and so forth. Again, we can get, be arrogant about any number of things. Okay. And uh, yeah, we just feel like we're better. Okay. So there's three types of arrogance. Yeah. Not all of them feel that we're better. Okay. So one of them thinks, I am better than others. Second one thinks, I am just as good as they are. And the third one thinks, I am worse than them. In other words, if I am not the best, I will be the worst. Right? And... I will definitely be the worst, and everybody can know how bad I am, what a defective person I am, and they can all feel sorry for me because I'm so consumed by my failure, by my shame. You know, it's like I'm just a disaster. Yeah? You ever think like that? Yeah? I'm the worst person in the world. (gasps) You know, we go back to our pity party. Mm -hmm. Okay. So somehow making ourselves special. We all find ways to be special. Yeah. I can make a bed better than other people can make their bed. Yeah. They inspected all the rooms and... My bed was made the best, much better than other people who just threw their stuff there. I mean, it's ridiculous what we get arrogant about, isn't it? Yeah. Some semchin. <laughs> um, yeah. So, some way that I am special. Not like other people. Much better. Yeah. My chugu. Yeah. Didn't you see it? Yeah. Megan was wearing it. Yeah, they're selling it. It's the latest fad. Yeah. And Harry was wearing a uh, (laughs) shimtop. Yeah. So I have the nicest things, yeah. And my iPad is the nicest one, even though I can't get it to do what I want it to do. But it's the most modern iPad, even though they come out with a new one every week almost. (laughs) Okay, some way to be arrogant. It's, you know, the people who are often... Uh, famous are the ones, uh, if they succumb to arrogance, they really have a difficult time when they lose the quality that is the source of their arrogance, okay? If you are an athlete and you are very famous and well-known because of your athletic ability, What happens when you get old and you can't do what you did before? Okay? What happens if, you know, your appearance is what you're arrogant about and you're renowned for being very good-looking and all of us are in the process of getting older and uglier? So what do you do then? Okay? So arrogance is really, um, you know, it it has a lot to do with attachment, and it's really a setup for misery. Because whatever we're arrogant about in a worldly way, we're going to separate from, we're going to lose it. Okay, number 14 is conceit is an extreme elevation of the mind. (laughs) Haughty and dismissive of others, we are so wrapped up in our own greatness that others seem insignificant in in comparison. And they are because we are absolutely positively the best. So conceit, lies behind contempt, I think. Yeah? And conceit, my observation, has often come when there's insecurity. Okay? So we just, the obstinacy, 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 obstinacy. When we're obstinate, that comes, yeah, from insecurity. But uh, conceit does too. Yeah, we feel unsure of ourselves. Yeah, so we create a false persona. This is where pretension and deceit come in. Yeah, create this false persona. And if you know, think that we are terrific, and it's so often an attempt to convince ourselves that we're okay when we, when inside we don't really believe we're okay. Okay, because I think when we are really when we feel okay about ourselves, when we have confidence in ourselves, then we're never arrogant. Because when you have confidence, you don't need to be arrogant. You just are what you are. Yeah. And I think when we're genuinely humble, we can have self-confidence too. So humility and lack of self-esteem are not the same thing. And self-confidence and conceit are not the same thing. But they're they're all kind of related to each other. Hmm? So... Uh, you know, if conceited people drive you crazy, yeah, then it's really helpful instead of being judgmental about them and criticizing them to look at them and say, you know, look behind the facade and recognize that there's insecurity and lack of self confidence. Okay. And so here's where one situation where I saw His Holiness Dalai Lama. This was after he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And he was in Irvine at the time at a conference. And he was one of the people on the panel of the conference. And somebody in the audience asked uh, him a question. I can't even remember what it was. And he just sat for a moment, and then he said, I don't know for the answer. And the audience, it was so quiet in that room. Everybody was aghast. How could the person who's the expert of the experts on the panel Say, I don't know. And he was totally comfortable with saying, I don't know. He was totally fine with it. Yeah? And then he turned to the other people on the panel and said, what do you people think? Again, like, he asked for other people's ideas. You know, isn't he embarrassed? You didn't know the answer? <laughs> okay, So, you know, somebody who feels comfortable in their own skin can be like that. They don't need to put something on. Okay, 15, haughtiness. Okay, so according to one commentary, haughtiness is similar to arrogance and conceit in that it concerns social class clan and so forth okay so i'm better yeah so white supremacy or you know whatever you're thinking. i mean the neo nazis all these kind of groups uh, are based on this kind of thing you know again com- comparison with others Yeah, feeling insecure, putting on a face of being what you aren't, really, in an attempt to feel okay with yourself. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting, like the Proud Boys, you know they assume everybody's going to be afraid of them. And people are afraid of them, I mean, the way they come on and the way they look and so on. But what's lying behind that? Why do they have a need to be like that? What what need inside themselves is being met by putting themselves above other people that way. Yeah? So something's going on there That that's leading to the haughtiness, the arrogance. Yeah. So the sutras defi- define, oh, the sutras describe haughtiness as vanity in relationship to youth, health, and life. Young people are infatuated with their youth and think they will never get old. Yeah, when we're walking up from the mailbox, walking up the S curve, and some of us are walking more slowly, and the young people just go zip, 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 I can walk faster than you can, you old fogey. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody do that? Nobody's going to cop to that. <laughs> okay. Young people feel are infatuated with their youth and think they will never get old. You know, they know how to use all these gadgets. Look at me. You know, I can figure out how to use an iPad without an instruction thing. It's so intuitive. They told me, it's intuitive. You just pick it up. You will know how to do anything. So I picked it up. And I started pressing things, and the iPad went crazy. It didn't <laughs> do what I wanted it to do. Yeah, and then you know the the young one who thinks they're so great. Yeah. But they're actually in their 30s and they don't recognize they're gonna be over the hill soon. But right now they think they're the generation. And they just take the iPad and go tip <laughs> and stick up their nose and say, I'll help you anytime you need help. Just call me. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The healthy believe they will not become ill. Isn't that true? We sometimes get arrogant, haughty about our good health. Yeah. So look at me. Again, I can walk faster than you. I can do this. I can stand on my feet in the kitchen longer than you can. Good. You cook. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, again, getting haughty about anything. Yeah. Yeah, you just happen to have some good karma ripening and you think you're better than others because you're healthy. Okay, those who are alive think they will not die. That one applies to all of us. Of course, we all say, no, I know I will die. For sure, I will die. Everybody dies, I know I will die. But later, yeah, I'm gonna live to be really old. Yeah, the oldest man now is, uh, they just said 112. I don't know for women, but I'm gonna be older than, way older than that, okay? Yeah, so old that death kind of will become insignificant. I'm just going to continue to be me. Okay. So, haughtiness. Sixteen, heedlessness. So this is the opposite of conscientiousness, and it allows the mind to roam among objects of sensual pleasure. Okay. (laughs) This is the mind that when you're on a a long flight, takes out the um, the, the things, what is it, What is duty-free, the duty-free booklet in the pouch in front of you, and skims through the, you know, I want distractions, so I'll look at all the duty-free things that I can get on the flight that are cheaper, because I don't have to pay taxes on them. Okay, so letting the mind be overwhelmed with afflictions without making any effort to restraint the mind, restrain the mind. It leads to self-indulgent actions and ethical downfalls. So we just, you know, conscientiousness is out the window. We don't care about our ethical conduct. Yeah, we don't care about the effects of our actions on other people. We don't even care about the effect of our actions on ourself. Our slogan is, I want what I want when I want it, and I'm going to get it. And we just go about getting what we want without caring about anything else. Okay? And so we can really wind up being like a bull in the china shop and hurting a lot of other people with this kind of mind. So of the 16 auxiliary afflictions in the Pali tradition, eight, wrath, resentment, jealousy, miserliness, deceit, pretension, haughtiness, and heedlessness, are auxiliary afflictions. And one Arrogance is a root affliction in the compendium of knowledge. Okay, so Pali tradition doesn't follow compendium of knowledge. Compendium of a knowledge is a Mahayana text by a sangha. Okay, and then two, covetousness and malice are two of the ten non-virtues, according to the Sanskrit tradition. Okay? So, it's interesting to see how different things can be put together in different lists. When we go on, you know, next week, we start talking about the fetters and the pollutants and things, you'll see some mental factors uh, are listed in many different categories, or mental factors that sometimes they have the same name, sometimes they have a different name, but you find them in many uh, categories. Okay, let's pause here if there's questions, comments.
4: In regard to jealousy, you ask us, um, you know, if we can bring up a situation where we have been jealous, and then we got what we were jealous of. And I um, uh, remember the situation, um, something like in high school, like. Eight or nine class, and there was a girl, and she looked like um, um, uh, you don't know her, but she was a German model, top model one, and uh, Claudia Schiffer. <laughs> and uh, so this girl looked like her, and um, so I I found it pretty inspiring first, and so but then I also wanted to become a little bit more beautiful like her. <laughs> and i uh, get um the attention and the figure and all that and so when i got a little bit older than like 15 16 17 i put more attention on my figure and my hair and all that and then i got a little bit more <laughs> of that you know attention that she may have gotten and but that was so disastrous because then i was so distracted with all that um taking care of my body of my hair and of that people pay attention to me and, you know, and the whole thing with um, relationships and such was disastrous. (laughs) So, yeah, I wish I would have not (laughs) jeered towards that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've had that same experience, not necessarily with my looks, but with other things I've been jealous about. And then I've gotten that, and it's like, this is not fun. (laughs) Yeah. Ling is asking if arrogance is arrogance described in number 13 mm-hmm. the same as the three conceits in the Pali tradition. The three conceits. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay, so they're asking if 13 and 14 are the same. Okay. Um, Uh, The conceit doesn't have the one of, uh, I'm worse than others. Okay, so they're different in that way. If you look at the definition, arrogance puffed up on account of our social class, education, uh, possessions, and so forth. And then the three kinds of arrogance that are described in number 13, and conceit, It seems to be uh, arrogance on steroids, (laughs) okay? And the the conceit doesn't um, apply to the thing of, uh, you know, I'm worse than everybody else. And then uh, Kenry is asking about the difference between a mental state and an affliction. Oh, there's many different kinds of mental states. Yeah. Afflictions are mental states that disturb the peace of the mind and uh, can motivate harmful actions. There's many mental states, you know, love, compassion, wisdom, inspiration, aspiration for what is good, integrity, consideration for others, Yeah, generosity, many more mental states uh, that are are quite good ones. Then there's other mental states that are neutral. Uh, It's just here we're going through this particular list of the ones that are not so good. We went through... um, Oh, we didn't... Yeah, this this book doesn't have... If, if you study, uh, what in Tibetan is called low rig or mind and, um, mind and awareness, then you'll find, uh, a list of 52, 52, not 51. 51? 51, um, mental factors, uh, which again is not an exhaustive list of all the mental factors, but it helps give you, uh, a better idea of, yeah, different mental states and how they uh, combine to to make a cognition. Mm-hmm. This is what Venerable Sankikhajo taught last mm-hmm. weekend. So yeah, you can listen to the tapes of her talks or she's gonna do part two in August, yeah.
3: One of, I'm just getting the sense as we go over this list is as I listen to the definitions and hear the examples, the sense of self when you are (laughs) afflicted is so big, and when I think about the virtuous mental factors, there's a, a softness, there's a lightness, there's not this grasp at self so strongly. Yeah. And it just becomes more apparent as you start listening and, and getting into how these things actually manifest. Yes. Yeah. The self is, is just fueled by this, or yeah. vice versa. Right. Self fuels the sense of inherently existence, self fuels the afflictive states. Yeah.
0: Well, that, that's why they say ignorance, you know, uh, ignorance which grasps the self and other phenomena as existing in the opposite way from how they do exist. And the chief cul- culprit is the self, grasping the self that way. Why that is the root of our samsara? Because you can see it, it's just, you know, it's spouting out everywhere here amongst these, isn't it? Me, 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 I'm the center of the universe, I'm the most important, whatever happens to me is the biggest deal. But virtue, but virtue doesn't necessarily have that. Doesn't have that kind yeah. of hunkering down
3: concretizing oneself
0: yeah <laughs> what the virtue ever so people yeah but you can see how then it's possible to free ourselves from the ignorance and the self-grasping and that does not destroy the virtuous mental factors because they can function without ignorance and self-grasping being there.
3: Um, Maybe I missed it, but um, is revenge anywhere in there? In particular, it seems like a special kind of malice, you know, a very kind
0: of... (laughs) Yeah, doesn't it? Distinct. I think, again, this list is not exhaustive, yeah, but you you could take, uh, you know, malice and put it together with um, resentment and uh, how we define contempt or with jealousy, and yeah, and come about, come out, you know, put, put them together and you come out with revenge. Yeah, one of those other really nasty mental states, isn't it? And which we take such delight in, you know, because revenge is related to grudge holding, yeah. You know? And I wanna, you know, I wanna get even. And somehow we think harming others is gonna make us happy. And you can see the extent of our ignorance when we think like that. How is harming somebody else gonna make us happy? I got my revenge. Well, so what? They're miserable. You caused problems to somebody else. You harmed a lot of other people who were related to that person. You know, how can you be proud about that? And yet, some people are. Hmm? I
3: like talking about these things. Um, yeah. Because it's so it's so important to identify them. The other yeah. thing about these is that there's a lot of internal narrative. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you, just listening to the voice that brings that m- helps manifest these things, mm-hmm. there's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of narrative justifying the state of mind. Mm-hmm. When I'm in a good space and I've got kindness in my heart, there's not a lot of internal dialogue. There's not a lot of Storytelling yeah it's, I'm just there I'm in my heart, you know, yeah. so that's another way that I try to identify when I'm afflicted is when I start really yeah. narrating
0: yeah when you're when your mind is spinning, when you're ruminating, when you are becoming the judge, prosecutor, and jury in your own mind against somebody else, okay, that's a very good indication that affliction is present. I was
2: just thinking about how isolating jealousy is for me. Mm. Because when I'm jealous of someone, I want to stay away from them. I don't want them strutting their stuff in front of me that I can't do. And I get (laughs) very, I I just pull away from them. I stay Mm. away. And I also think when I'm jealous that I can't ever have what that person has. Instead of thinking, oh, maybe I should do a few things and I can learn what they learn. No, no, no. I think, no, they've got it and I'll never get it. Yeah. And and then I don't want them strutting that in front of me. So, <laughs> you know, so get away from me. And, yeah, yeah it's isolating. Yeah. And then you do all that self-talk you're just talking about. Yeah.
0: Just, yeah. And then when the opposite occurs, when we're arrogant and we strut around in front of other people because we want to make them jealous, because we think if we can make them jealous, that makes us better than them. Yeah. Another one of those lovely mental attitudes, isn't it? Yeah, how can I make somebody jealous and envious of me? Yeah. Okay, let's dedicate, and then next time we'll we'll uh, go through the reflection as a like a a review.